Change lives. Heal broken hearts. Heal broken hearts. And God will understand. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, it's going to be okay. Or better yet, let's sing it. I've got no. <laughs> John 11 in your Bibles that you just held up. We'll turn to John 11. We're going to start at verse 18. I'm in the New American Standard uh, Version. I've gone back to that. Um, been a little disappointed in some things I found out about the New Living Translation and the New NIV Translation, the new one. Don't don't buy it. Don't buy it. Same people that are producing the New NIV are producing the Book of Satan. Don't buy it. They're trying to make it neuter neuter what. Is, Gender neutral. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. Gender. And they're neutering everything. That's right. <laughs> Be sure and spay and neuter your dogs. Okay. Thank you. I had needed a nurse to bail me out here. So. They're doing a lot of things that are uh, not good. So I've gone back to the New American Standard. That's where I'll be. Probably stay for, until I die. Verse 18. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to marry Martha to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on that last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Verse 21 starts defining the problem that had defeated them. Look again at verse 21. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, Lazarus was dead. Grief had invaded a once happy home. He was very loved and dearly loved, and yet he was snatched from their presence and they were devastated. Any of you ever felt that way? Any of you ever had that? You can raise your hands if you'd like. See how good that feels to raise your hands? <laughs> a couple things I want you to know about this problem. Death is an ugly event. Now before you jump on me and say, but if you're a believer, it's a blessing. I got you, I got you. But even if you're the strongest believer and they, and that person dies, it still is an ugly thing. Because they're not here anymore. They're not here anymore. We had a little one day family reunion. Do you have those? 
Well, that's, that's all we can have. We get together and about five hours later we go, okay, here we go. <laughs> but there were two brothers noticeably not there. A mother and a dad noticeably not there. And it was a blessed time to be around my other brothers and my sister. And we're all getting old. We're all getting older. It was fun to watch the grandchildren and the and your children and watching the cousins interact. Kelsey found out that she has some cousins close to her age. And uh, Kelsey caught a fish in the pond, and she's an avid fisherman, that one is. Braden, however, he caught his first one, along with his dad, and it was a, that was a great picture. Just a look on his face, like, now what do I do? We pulled this thing out, now what do we do? And it was a great pond to fish in, because you didn't need bait. You just threw the, you hung the lure over the side, and it would jump on there. <laughs> of course, it helps if you've been feeding them bread for the last 15 minutes. But death is an ugly event. It invades our homes, brings division, discouragement, disillusionment, defeat. When somebody dies, it literally rips us apart. And I don't care if you're a believer. You still miss that partner. And especially if you're believers, you miss them. It's hard to go home and go to bed. That bed. It's hard to go home to that house that was so full of life for both of you. Visitors to the Fiji Island Islands will tell of a strange custom that the Fiji people have called calling for the dead. The one who has suffered bereavement climbs to a high tree or a cliff and they mention the name of the deceased and they cry out pathetically, Come back! Come back! It's heartrending. It's filled with despair. And all they hear are the mocking echoes of their name. You may have found yourself, if you've lost someone like that, you may have found yourself calling out for them to come back, come back, come back. And yet, the ugliness of death can be turned into joy because you know where the person is. (laughs) And if they've been suffering on this side through some illness or whatever, isn't it so refreshing to know no more? But it's still ugly. Secondly, death is a universal event. Hebrews 9.27, read it with me. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die, how many times? And after this comes, everybody's going to die. Amen? You're not going to live forever. Now, I know you're going to try. I know you will. You'll try. You'll try everything you can. Now, when you're young, you don't think you're ever going to die. And when you're 60, you realize that Lord, I'm coming home. (laughs) Yeah, 
gets more real, doesn't it? That's Brother Ralph. 97. Still getting around. I always love it though. He says, well, I'm not as fast as I used to be. <laughs> well, hey, any speed at 97 is, is fast enough, amen? Went into McDonald's this week. As Hugo's of all things closed for a week. What is wrong with these people? But I went into McDonald's and there's Brother Ralph. Sitting waiting for his crew to get there. They solve all. I'm telling you what, there are no world problems every morning from about 8 to 9 there at McDonald's. Those guys handle it all. But death is universal. One day, whether we like it or not, we are going to face death. And I don't know if you noticed or not, but like I said, death is getting steadily closer and closer every minute of the day. One day our time is going to run out. Someone has mathematically calculated a schedule that compares the average lifetime with a single day beginning at 7 a.m. in the morning. It goes like this. If, if you're 15, the time on the clock is 1025. If you're 25, it's 1242, uh, 10:25 a.m. So you got quite a ways to go. If, if you're 25, the time is 12.42 p.m. If you're 35, it's 3 p.m., 45, 5.16 p.m., 55, 7.34 p.m., 65, 9.55 p.m., 70, 11 p.m. So if you're 70, time's almost up. i got 10 more years to just have a ball. Seventy is as far as it went. Don't mess with my illustrations, please. This is not question and answer time. Help him, Lord. <laughs> Ralph, listen, Ralph has his own clock over there. All right, just leave him on. And then he's a pup compared to Don's mother. I mean, come on, she's ninety-nine, hundred, I guess, ninety-nine. So, don't mess with her. The other thing I want you to know about death is that it's, un, it's an unexpected event. Death is an unexpected event. Mary and Martha probably thought that Lazarus would recover from what sickness he had and that everything would return to normal, but death had other ideas. Even though men know death is coming, it still seems to take them all by surprise. There's an old fable about a man made an unusual agreement with death. He told the grim reaper that he would willingly accompany him when it came time to die, but only on one condition, and that death would send a messenger well in advance to warn him. The agreement was made, weeks passed into months, months into years, and then one bitter winter evening, as the man sat alone thinking about all his material possessions, death suddenly entered the room and tapped him on the shoulder. The man was startled and he cried out in despair, You're here so soon and without warning, I thought we had an agreement. Death replied, I've more than kept my part. I've sent you many messengers. Look at yourself in the mirror. And you'll see all of them. As the man complied, death whispered, Notice your hair. Once it was full and black, now it's thin and white. Look at the way you cock your head to listen to my voice because you can't hear very well. Observe how close you must get to the mirror in order to see yourself clearly. Yes, I've sent many messengers through the years. I've kept my part. It's too bad that you didn't keep yours. 
I'm sorry you're not ready for me, but the time has come to go. Don't be guilty of letting death sneak up on you and catch you unprepared. Proverbs 27 and verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. You don't know. When you're young, you think, I'm going to live forever. When you're young, you think 30 is old. And when you're 30, you think 40 is old. And when you're 40, you think 50 is old. And when you're 50, you're just grateful. (laughs) Salvation is the one area where men are foolish to delay their decision. Why is it that we are so foolish to delay the very decision that will make a difference for eternity in our life? Oh, one day. Oh, one day I'll decide to follow the Lord. But we only want to follow the Lord and give the Lord our hearts when it fits our agenda. How sad is that? I mean, you can put off paying taxes, changing your oil, doing things that probably you never think of putting off, but why do people put off salvation until time catches up with them? And they're in that eleventh hour and they're near death. Oh, and they want Jesus then. Atheists are not made in a foxhole. (laughs) I'd love to talk to an atheist ten seconds after they die. How's it going? Because they went someplace. Can you imagine dying as an atheist and all of a sudden going, "Uh uh-oh. Which they call me foolish for even thinking that. A mother was answering her young daughter's question about her dad's death. God sent for him, she, she said. And someday He will send for you and for me. Nobody knows just when. So thinking about that for a moment, the, the little girl said, Mama, if we don't know for sure when God's going to send for us, we might not be ready. I mean, we better start packing. And she was right. No one knows when God is going to send for us, but we do know how to wait for that day. Whether He's calls us through death or when Christ returns to take us home, we should always be ready. A new family moved into the community. They were promptly visited by some of the elders and the pastor of a nearby church who cordially invited them to come to church on the Lord's Day. And the man assured them that they would come just as soon as they got everything straightened out. Several months passed. They still hadn't put in an appearance. So the minister called again and repeated his invitation. He received the same reply. The fellow hadn't yet gotten everything straightened out. And so a few weeks later, he died and his widow asked to have the funeral services in the church. The preacher graciously agreed it was indeed a sad affair. Later, when a member of the congregation asked the pastor if the man was a Christian... Pastor said, well, he never attended services here, and no one can recall ever hearing him give a testimony of his faith in Christ, so I can't say. I only know that he was a man of his word. He promised to come to church, and just as soon as he got all things straightened out, and I guess he did. So the problem was defined, and in the first part of verse 25 Jesus' power is described. Look at verse 25. First part says, And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Jesus claimed to possess power over the grave. He claimed a title that baffled people when He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said He possesses the power within Himself. So when Jesus, when Jesus is known by us, according to 1 John 5.12, what right does Jesus have to make those claims? Well, the Bible tells us why He can make those claims. First of all, He raised others from the dead. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 11, it says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ we are made alive. He raised Jairus' daughter. He raised the widow of Nain's son. He raised Lazarus in our story. He proved His power over death in the grave when He raised people from the grave. Do you realize that when Jesus went to raise Lazarus, had He not said, Lazarus, come forth! Everybody would have got up and walked out. If Jesus would have stood at the tombs and said, Come forth! Man, there would have been tomb after tomb after tomb after tomb open up. But He had to be specific. So every guy named Lazarus that was in that tomb came out. I assume there's only one. Because that's all that's recorded that came out. Lazarus, come forth! Some people think Jesus just went up there and said, Lazarus, come on out. I don't think so. I think Jesus wanted to make sure Satan heard him. Lazarus, come out! And in that tomb, all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. I'm just imagining. Can you imagine lights began to flash inside the tomb? They heard stirring inside the tomb. And then all of a sudden, here's a body shows up at the door. Whoa. Whoa. Secondly, Jesus promised to raise His followers from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, passage, look at this. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Woo! Those who trusted Jesus as their personal Savior can have confidence that Jesus will one day resurrect their bodies from the grave. Well, what if we're cremated? He's got the blueprint. Well, what if we died at sea and the sharks ate us? He's got the blueprint! Relax! Jesus raised Himself thirdly from the dead. That terrible death on the cross at Calvary, if the story ended there, it would have been of utmost tragedy. But thank God, three days later, He overcame the cross. He walked out of the tomb. So you see, you and I can face death with confidence, knowing that in that day, He's more than able. Now I'm a big old boy. And the Bible says we'll get wings. I think the Bible, I don't know if the Bible says that, but I've been told I'll get wings and I'll fly off to heaven. But I've got all the confidence in the world that God's already aerodynamically fixing my wings. That'll lift me right off the ground and off I go. Now they may be a big set of wings. But that's all right. It's all right. We see the problem that had them defeated. We see the power that Jesus described. And in the verse, the latter parts of verse 25 and, and the first part of verse 26, Jesus declares a promise. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. 
circle the phrase, do you believe in this? Or underline that phrase or highlight that phrase because that's of immense importance. Jesus cures spiritual death. He cures it. Isaiah 1.18. In Isaiah 1.18. Jeff, I think that's the next slide. Is it in there? Did I skip one? There we go. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll be like wool. That's a powerful verse, by the way. Old Testament, by the way. Prophesying of the coming Jesus, the Messiah, who will be able to clear our sins, though they are red as crimson. Stained. Lazarus, come forth, he says. Jesus conquers death for His children. Those who place their faith in Christ will only die one time. Born once to die twice or born twice to die once. There's a good phrase to write down. Born once to die twice or born twice to die once. And if you're going, I don't have any idea what he just said. Let's go have lunch. I'll try to explain it to you. But how do we get peace with God? In your outline is a chart. And on the, on the board is a chart. Every person has a problem. The arrow points down to what? Sin. So go to the left side. Sin has separated us between God and us. There's a separation. But if you read the verses on the left side about us, Romans 3.23 says all of sin falls short the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 says that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. <coughs> and then Romans 6.1-5 tells me how to connect to Him. Now, if I don't believe in Him, what good is it going to do to be baptized? But if you read those verses, the implication is they'd already done that. They'd already believed. Now Paul is trying to reassure them and remind them of the connection that baptism brought them. He said, if you, in verse 5, if you've been united with Him in the likeness of His death, you shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. If you want to be saved, connect with His death. How do I connect with His death? Baptism. I can't sprinkle you in, but I can, I can immerse you in. Amen? Amen? I'll hold on. I'll hold on one more time. Very good. Now, you guys are catching on. That's, that's awesome. And then once, you're, once what Romans 6 then is it gets us onto the cross, that then gets us over to God again. Romans 8, 1 and 2, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, uh, those that are walking by the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And uh, what's my last one up there on that, on that outline? On the, on the God part. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, the problem that had them defeated, the power that D Jesus described, the promise that He declared, and then lastly, the plea that He delivered. In, in the latter part of verse 6, again, you've underlined the phrase, do you believe this? He closes the conversation with Mary by asking her about her faith. 
Because see, ultimately, folks, doesn't it come down to, where's our faith? Do you have faith? You know, Mick mentioned earlier that Michelle was scared to death about this surgery. How many of you have gone into surgery and just you, you had you, you were playing all the worst possible scenarios? I'm not going to wake up. When I had my shoulder surgery, or maybe it was my foot surgery. No, it was my shoulder. I had my bicep reattached to my shoulder. I was laying there and, and I thought, who comes to pray for the preacher? So when he comes to Geneva, I said, well, that makes sense. So that's, that's about as close to a preacher as you're going to get in here. Even if I show up and she's with me, I'm of no value. Because you, because you guys all say, is Geneva with you? I, I know what you, I, yeah, I got it. I got it. That's why I take her everywhere. Because <laughs> I figure if she dies, I'm going with her. Okay, let's go. <laughs> well, God, God says, where you been? I'm going to Geneva. <laughs> okay, come on. <laughs> it's not her, it's, it's her walk with God that we all admire, amen? But then the doctor walked in. Put his hand on my foot. He said, doing okay? I said, yes, sir. He said, always pray with my patients before I operate because I need God's help while I do this. I said, if I'm going home now, it's okay. So Jesus wanted to know about Martha's faith. He wants to know about your faith. Why is faith so vitally important? It's because, and why is Jesus and Jesus alone so vitally important? It's because it's, His is the only plan that guarantees entrance into heaven. His is the only plan that guarantees escape from sin and from all the baggage of sin. Sin carries a price tag. People start receiving the dividends of sin as soon as they come into this world. Children are not taught, excuse me, children are not born racist. They are taught racism. Children are not taught how to live today. We just kind of throw them out there and hope for the best. And if we do try to teach them, they're so blasted smart they haven't got any time to listen to us. Because we're so stupid anyway. Stupid adult. You're over 25 years old. You're stupid. Yep. Dumber than a brick. That's the way they think about us. Isn't it? Amen? Well, they're, 15, they're 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, maybe 22 years old. And they think they should be making $79,000 a year. They think they should be driving a brand new car that costs $40,000. Has tricked out wheels, did empty, They think they should be in a house or a condo that, that they can party hardy. Mm-hmm. That's the first time you see that in church. Because you see, they're so smart, these young people. And yet, when they don't have enough money to pay their bills, where did they do? 
they come to mama or grandma. Mm. I, I had a feeling I'd get more than that, but uh, you see, sin carries a heavy price. If you don't have the right kind of faith, if you don't have the right kind of foundation, you're not going to make it. David is the assistant manager at Arby's, has a gal that works for him. She works two jobs. She's 19, works two jobs. And uh, she came to David and had an envelope full of money and said, I need to contribute this, tie this to your daughter's youth ministry. So Dave, Dave brought it, handed it to Chrissy. She counted it, gave it to Vanessa. She counted it again. $110? $110 this 19-year-old girl set aside and gave to us. Hmm. See this row up here of these gifts that God's brought sending us? Oh, they're fun. This little one was over here tying the same knot five times because he wanted to be involved. You see? One of them sat by Leah last week and wanted to know a lot of stuff. You see? I'm going to baptize some of them one of these days. One of them's already teaching. <laughs> Is she teaching today? Oh, helping. Well, fooey on that. Helping? So see, we've got an opportunity to drive faith in, but if you don't have a faith, what good is it going to do you? Because when you are saved, it delivers you from the power of sin, it delivers you from the penalty of sin, it delivers you from the presence of sin. I mean, that's a sermon in and of itself. And it's the only plan endorsed by God. John 14.6, I don't have it on the screen, but you know it. What's John 14.6 say? Jesus said, I am the... Way and the truth and the no man comes to the but by it's exclusive. It's not universalist. Carlton Pearson is wrong. He's wrong. Not everybody's going to get to go. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth." The Muslims aren't going to get to go. There's no 72 virgins waiting for them. There's not. And by the way, leadership means I'm going to show you the way. Amen? Jesus showed us the way to die. Showed us the way to live. Showed us the way to live forever. Give me one Muslim imam who's willing to die in jihad. No, no, he's going to send the little kids out there because that's the kind of people they are. Boy, you better watch out, preacher. They're going to show up at our church. I am not standing here to stay here. I'm standing here to leave here. Come on. Come on. Come on, people. Wake up. Time is running out on us. You must be born again. Quit playing around. Quit. Quit saying, well, one of these days I'll get around to it. You never will. You're going to die and go to hell and look across the gulf and go, oh, man, I wish I'd have done it. Too late! But boy, today's the day. We got the water ready. Man, it'll be cold. Good, it don't matter. You get your hot body in there and warm it up. 
It don't matter how cold the water is. It matters if your heart's right. Get in the water. Well, is that all there is? I just got to get in the water? No, you got to start living for Him. Oh, well, what's that mean? Well, that means you got to tithe. If you're 19, you got to tithe. Somebody's been teaching that girl the right thing. Good night, nurse folks. Come on. Do you believe this? He says to Martha. Do you believe this? Bruce Larson, in his book, Living Beyond Our Fears, shares this great story. i got to share it with you. About a judge in Yugoslavia who had an unfortunate accident. He was electrocuted when he reached up to turn the light on while standing in the bathtub. And his wife finds his body sprawled out on the bathroom floor. He's pronounced dead. But the custom in Yugoslavia, and in that particular town, is that he was placed in a room under a crypt in the town cemetery for 24 hours before he was buried. And in the middle of the night, the judge woke up, came to. He realized where he was, and he rushed over to alert the guard, who was promptly terrified. (laughs) And he ran off. But fortunately, he returned with a friend, and they released the newly revived judge, whose first thought was to phone his wife and reassure her. Darling, it's me. He hears a scream and a thud. (laughs) Next, he went to the houses of several friends and who were sure that he was the ghost. But in a last desperate measure, he called a friend in a distant city who had not heard that he had died. And he then interceded for him with his family and his friends. Can you imagine the shock that your lost friends would feel if they saw the difference that Jesus had made in you. Perhaps you're experiencing a painful time. Perhaps you're going through now or have just gone through a time when there's been a health crisis. There's been a problem in a relationship. There's been kid problems, financial problems. Never forget that God understands. Father, I ask you this morning, as we conclude our time together, would you minister to the hearts of the folks here in this room? I know there's at least one person in this room that needs to deepen their walk with you. That's why we have a cross up front. That's why we have an open floor up front. We don't need a specific item of furniture to fall on our knees and call out out to You. But I'm praying today that there will be some who will. Could there be just one? In Jesus' name, Amen. Stand and sing our hymn of invitation. God's moving on your heart to respond, would you, today?